Amen. You may be seated. I want to start off this morning uh, with just a couple of notes of appreciation. Uh, one, our, our deacons do a lot here at the church. It's ob not always obvious what they do uh, because a lot of it is things that, that have to remain private for one reason or another. But one of the things they do is facilitate our communion here at Byfield Parish. I want to say thank you to them for coordinating that. And not pointing out specific things here, but one of the, the really awesome privileges of being a pastor here at Byfield Parish Church is just getting to see the small acts of love that people show one another within community. Uh, and there were a couple of those, uh, there's always, those things are always happening, but there were a couple of those that are really striking to me over the past week or so. Um, that I won't go into, but, but one of which I will share, uh, last night I was giving my oldest son, Josiah, a ride home from youth group and Henry Woolley, uh, we were giving him a ride home as well. Me and Matt, uh, kind of trade carpooling duties for youth group. And, uh, Henry was like, Hey, uh, Caleb Murray has actually been doing the projection a lot recently. I had said, thank you to Henry a couple of times for doing that. He's like, actually, Caleb's been handling that. And what was so encouraging to me was here we have, a, I, think, I think Henry's 12, he's probably super embarrassed right now, but uh, here we have a 12-year-old seeing what somebody else is doing in community and, and calling that out and complimenting that. So that, that was an encouragement to me, uh, and there are other things I could point out as well, but I think what it reflects to me is, you know, you really get out of community what you put into it. And, that, and that's just true. And um, some of the things that are just really striking to me is to see that there are people that have, that have really invested their lives in this community. And it's so beautiful to see when that results in love being shown in return to them and in, in their times of needs or different situations. So uh, just, wanted to, just wanted to say that to start off this morning. Uh, now, getting into the sermon, uh, years ago, I went on a youth retreat as a leader. Now, my responsibility at this retreat, this was before I was in any sort of full-time ministry, was keeping, I think it was about a dozen seventh grade boys in line for a weekend. You can go ahead and laugh. Yes, it, that's, a, that's a funny experience to have. And I felt like a success at the end of the weekend. None of the boys died because of their own decision-making. I did not kill any of them, so that felt like a win, right? Um, but other than surviving, I actually don't remember much about the weekend. I don't remember the names of the kids. Uh, but there is one memory that sticks out all these years later. On Saturday of this retreat, we had some time during the, the middle part of the day to kind of do different activities. And one of the options presented to us was to go caving. Now, I'm from Tennessee, and in Tennessee, there's a lot of caves. The geography of the state has a lot of limestone. So as water runs through limestone over time, it makes all of these passageways. And we were going to, we were going to go explore one of these geographic anomalies. So I piled into a van with these seventh grade boys and a guide from the camp and we drove a ways and got on some back roads and on some more back roads and we pulled up to this empty dirt parking lot and the guide said, all right, get out. Let's 
So we got out, and we walked a little bit into the woods, and then there was just a hole in the ground. And we climbed into the hole. Uh, yeah, probably not the best thing to do. Anyway, so the guy took us back, and you know we were able to walk upright some. Sometimes we had to crawl on our bellies a little bit. And we, we got to this point, and he told us all to sit down. So we all sat down. He said, all right, everybody turn off your lights. So we did that. And the darkness just enveloped us. There was no ambient light at all. Now, I'm not somebody that's scared of the dark, but I, I remember that darkness all these years later. I've never experienced anything quite like it. It was total darkness. Prior to that experience, I took light for granted without even realizing it. Even when I wake up in the middle of the night, there's still some light. I didn't realize that it was always there to some extent. And in today's verses, we're going to be talking about darkness. These verses contrast the absolute darkness that comes with separation from God with the light that comes from him, which in general is taken for granted. So I want you to, I want you to have that image in your mind as we move through this text. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. That's Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. And following, that's page 49 in the text, will also be on the wall behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Darkness and light are not just physical realities throughout the Bible. Light is associated with the presence of God, darkness with his absence. These verses are one of the places in Scripture where this point is made most clearly. 
The verses we just read look backward on God's creative work in Genesis 1. They look forward to the finalization of God's recreation at the end of the book of Revelation. Whether a person experiences the light of God or the darkness of his absence determines everything about that person's life. Light equals life. Darkness equals death. The plague of darkness that God brings about in these verses would have been worse from the Egyptians' perspective than any of the preceding plagues. We can imagine why boils, locusts, or murderous hail are bad things without exercising our imaginations too much. If I had to choose from the plagues that have happened to this point, I would probably go with frogs. It doesn't really sound that bad. But darkness would actually be a close second. It reminds me of when the power goes out. I've lost power at my house for multiple days before. And as long as it's a time of year where I'm not dependent on the heat, a lack of power is more of a nuisance than a crisis. What about you guys? Would you rather have no light for three days or have locusts come and eat every available scrap of food at the grocery store? Would you rather experience darkness or wake up covered in painful boils? The modern lack of concern about the absence of light is very much a product of our capability. We can make our own light when no natural light is available. We just flip a switch. When it is dark outside, we just watch TV or mess around online. In the ancient world, darkness was only associated with bad things. The absence of light was a source of terror. Once the sun went down, people were almost completely incapacitated. Traveling in the darkness was nearly impossible, even if you had a torch. I don't know if you've ever had like a torch or something like that, but it only lights a very small space around you. Wild animals would come out at night that could hunt and kill you. Criminals did the same. The extent of their fear is hard for us to imagine. In his commentary on the book of Exodus, Douglas Stewart writes, ancient people considered confinement in darkness a grave punishment from God. Even a sort of sometimes purposeful force and associated it with death. The darkness that happens when Moses stretches out his hands is a darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. God is not trying to be subtle with this plague. He is warning Pharaoh and the Egyptians with the darkness 
they most fear. God withholds the most basic element that makes life possible. They didn't know about oxygen or other physical substances that we associate with life. For them, light was what was necessary for life. All of God's other attempts to get Pharaoh's attention have not changed his behavior. The removal of light is a significant escalation It is a reminder of a fundamental underlying truth that Pharaoh wasn't aware of. In all the previous plagues, God changed something or sent something to the Egyptians that was problematic. Darkness isn't something God sent. It is what happens when God takes something away. Darkness is the lack of light. Through the physical processes, God maintains he is the source of light. Without God, light is not something that exists. By taking away light, God is withdrawing the common grace that makes life possible. The Gospel Coalition tells us common grace includes all the undeserved blessings that natural man receives from the hand of God. Rain, sun, prosperity, health, happiness, natural capacities and gifts, sin being restrained from complete dominion, etc. Every moment of human existence is dependent on the sustaining work of God that perpetuates the physical world we live in long enough for us to take an additional breath. People tend to take common grace for granted. Pharaoh did. Most people do now. Nobody should. God is actively sustaining the world. The psalmist writes, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth and the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Who makes lightnings for the rain? Who brings forth the wind from his treasuries? In Acts, Paul preaching, Paul is preaching to the Athenians and he quotes a pagan philosopher making the same point, saying, in God we live and move and exist. Apart from God, there is only death. Not just physical death, but spiritual as well. Pharaoh thought he was his own man, when in fact, God was the only one making his continued existence possible. People are totally contingent creatures. Despite experiencing the darkness that comes when God withdraws his light, Pharaoh still tries to maintain his independence from God. He tries to bargain as he has repeatedly done in previous interactions. He says to Moses, 
Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. To him, this seems reasonable. Pharaoh is willing to give up a lot. He really is. God and Moses, they should be willing to give a little bit in return as well. I don't think Pharaoh actually cares that much about the livestock. What is more important to him is for him to be able to tell himself that he has maintained some control. Pharaoh doesn't want to surrender completely. Every time Pharaoh has resisted God before, there has always been another interaction, another plague, another chance. Despite all the evidence Pharaoh has accrued, he still hasn't come to terms with what is happening. He doesn't understand the extent of the difference between himself and God. He is a creature. God is his creator. Pharaoh has confused God's patience with weakness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Pharaoh is still breathing because God is strong enough to maintain his life, not because God is too weak to take it. All God would have to do is stop sustaining Pharaoh, and he would simply cease to exist. The removal of light shows not just that God can take Pharaoh's life, but that Pharaoh is dependent on God's mercy for his life to be maintained. No person should take their existence for granted. Your every breath is a miracle from God that is extremely, extremely unlikely based on science alone. The odds of Earth being a place that can sustain life are infinitesimally small. A new study suggests that there are around 700 quintillion planets in the universe. 700 quintillion, but only one like Earth. 700 quintillion, in case you're not aware, is a seven followed by 20 zeros. We cannot even conceive of such a number. If we take for granted that Earth exists, and even that humanity exists, what about your individual existence? This guy, Dr. Ali Benazir, tried to explain those odds with the following example. He writes, imagine there was one life preserver thrown somewhere in some ocean. And there is exactly one turtle in all of these oceans swimming underwater somewhere. The probability that you came about and exist today is the same as that turtle sticking its head out of the water in the middle of that life preserver on one try. 
For those of you that prefer numbers, he argues that the chances that of your existence are 1 in 10 followed by 2,685,000 zeros. The Bible doesn't think of any individual life as being a result of random chance, however. From God's perspective, the likelihood of your existence is 100%. God is the one that made you exist. He planned for the outcome of each of those variables. There is no such thing as cosmic accidents or random chance. We owe the fact we ever came into being completely on God. Our, our creation transcends the creation of just biological material. Genesis states that God breathed his life into human beings. A huge implication of God creating us is that we are not our own. This is the central fact it is so easy to struggle with. No person has any rights in relation to God. He is the potter, we are the clay. The only reason we can act like we are our own is because God doesn't immediately destroy us for our defiance. We have no rights in relation to God. We are totally dependent on his patience. Pharaoh makes clear that he wants nothing to do with God, his creator and sustainer. He says to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses is God's representative. Pharaoh sends him away like he would one of his slaves. This is truly ridiculous when you consider all that has happened in the preceding chapters. Pharaoh is still talking like he is in control. By sending Moses away, Pharaoh is making it clear he wants nothing to do with God. He has learned nothing. His life is dependent on God. He is cutting himself off from the source of life. Pharaoh's desire to be his own man is physical and spiritual suicide. In response to Pharaoh's dismissal, Moses says, As you say, I will not see your face again. Moses' words reflect God's position. He will not force his presence on Pharaoh. If Pharaoh insists on having nothing to do with God, then God will oblige. He agrees to Pharaoh's boundary. God, speaking through Moses, does not agree with what the consequences of that boundary will be. Pharaoh had said, on the day you see my face, you shall die. In response, Moses says, I will not see your face again. 
by insisting on separation from God, Pharaoh is willfully choosing darkness. Not the temporary darkness of the most recent plague, but the permanent darkness of death. Through his refusal to acknowledge God's lordship, he has signed his own death warrant. Death is a result of willful separation from God. The terrifying truth is that every person has separated themselves from God through defiance. All exist in darkness apart from God. Pharaoh is not an exception. He is the rule. His story is more well-known. It is not unique. Every person has refused to acknowledge that God is their sustainer and creator. We have negotiated. We have defied. Death is the inevitable outcome of our inherent desire to exist independently of God. The only reason we don't see it more clearly is the common grace of God which sustains us. This buys people time to recognize the folly of their ways. It doesn't delay the inevitable. Separate from God, there is darkness and death. All have been separated from God. All consuming darkness is inevitable. We can't prevent it. Our salvation is that Jesus entered death on our behalf. Jesus himself existed in the three days of darkness between the cross and the resurrection. Today's verses look forward to that occurrence. He experienced death so that we would not have to. His separation from God was absolute. Jesus dealt with the result of our defiance so that we could participate in the life of God the Father. Apart from Christ, no hope is possible. Through him, abundant life is guaranteed. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, the light of the world, is the only solution to the darkness. The light of God, exemplified in Jesus Christ, is more powerful than the darkness of death. We do we do need to recognize the light that makes life possible is not a given, it is a gift. All life continues to exist because of God's sustaining grace. The only thing that keeps us from being eventually consumed by the darkness is the special grace of the cross. When any person chooses separation from God, they're choosing spiritual darkness that will eventually manifest itself in eternal darkness. 
Christians do not need to fear the darkness. We can echo the words of Psalm 27, verse 1, with confidence. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we fear the darkness as we should. We make all sorts of efforts on our own to keep it at bay. Some of those efforts are technological, but even more than that, we, we try to do things ourselves to, to keep the darkness out of our view, the spiritual darkness that defines our existence. And Lord, ultimately, we are not up to that task. We cannot always keep the darkness at bay, Lord, but you have sent us Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to be our source of light, to be our source of life. Lord, I pray that that light would shine brightly in our hearts and minds, that we would know how to walk in the new life that you have made possible for us, Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.